Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Roy may be a lot of things, but shy isn't one of them. He never backs down from a good debate. This is The Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Conservative Party of Canada is getting close to the day they're going to elect the new leader of the party who will lead the Conservative Party of Canada into the 2019 election campaign, no doubt against Justin Trudeau and the Liberals, and whoever the New Democrats decide will lead them. There'll be other candidates, and there'll be the Green Party, of course, but generally, with due respect to everybody who gets into the political arena, it is normally considered to be a contest between the Conservatives, the Liberals, and the New Democrats, and may it end that way. That's just the way I feel. Andrew Shear is a member of Parliament from Saskatchewan. For th- 35 years of age, he was elected the uh, Speaker of Canada's Parliament, the youngest Speaker ever. And he is, uh, from what I've been reading and hearing, increasingly in a favorable position as far as the leadership contest is concerned. Mr. Shear, good to talk to you. Thanks for taking the time. My pleasure. Great to chat with you as well. How do you assess your, uh, your your situation? We yesterday spoke with Maxime Bernier. Last week we spoke with Kevin O'Leary. Uh, they're generally considered to be the front runners, but you're in a, you're, you're positioned quite well, are you not? I, I, I am, and you know, th- there's a few ways that you can you can kind of try to determine how you're doing. One of them is uh, caucus endorsements. I've I've got the most amount of MPs and senators endorsing my campaign, and that means I've got people out in each riding selling selling memberships and spreading the good word and and hoping to get the vote out for me so that's that's a good sign uh fundraising is is very strong we we came in third in in uh, our first quarter in the last quarter of 2016 and we we had an extremely good uh first quarter of 2017 and then our own internal numbers and so i'm very confident i believe that people like kevin o'leary and maxime uh do have a bit of a, a polarizing effect and as many people that that, that that do support them. There are many that, that are a little bit worried about some of their positions, and, and so I don't know that they'll be able to grow on subsequent ballots the same way that, that I will be able to. Well, let me go through a, a number of issues with you, and we can get a response from you on on how you see them and what would you what you would do about them. Mm-hmm. And uh, an issue that we've talked about a great deal is the carbon tax that Mr. Trudeau insists is going to be the Canadian reality for the decades to come and insists it's going to be uh, what it is what Canada needs, says Mr. Trudeau. Meanwhile, in the United States, no carbon tax. And just just a cursory review of what happens in economics would suggest that if the United States has no carbon tax, and we do, that's not good for Canada or Canada's economy. It's going to be terrible for Canada's economy. I was in Markham, and I met with uh, a gentleman who owns a, a parts plant that provides uh, plastic moldings to the auto industry. He's already shut down uh, one shift a week. He's only operating four days a week just because of the hydro costs that he's paying. And, you know, with a, with a, with a carbon tax added, he could set up shop uh, on the other side of the border, bring all the, take all those jobs with him, and the emissions would still be going into the atmosphere, just the jobs would be leaving Canada. So it's going to be economic suicide to impose a carbon tax when our largest trading partner 
is going in the opposite direction, lowering taxes, lowering regulatory costs. So I have made it very clear that if I am Prime Minister in 2019, my first act, my first bill introduced in the House of Commons will be to repeal the carbon tax. How do you see the, uh, the, the global warming, the climate change issue? Where are you on that? Well, look, I think it's uh, I, I, I think it's always a good idea to, to reduce emissions. I think regardless of what it is we're putting into the rivers and oceans and, and atmosphere, you know, we should always be good stewards of that and, and try to reduce the impact we have. But I don't think that we, we got a very good deal when Trudeau signed on to uh, to the Paris targets. There's a lot of countries that have special exemptions and longer timetables and are able to continue to increase their emissions. And we didn't fight for any uh, of the credit that, that we should have. You know, agriculture, for example, in Canada has significantly reduced its, its emissions, moving to zero till. We've got huge carbon sinks all over the the, the country. My plan would be to uh, offer incentives to large emitters to reduce their emissions, kind of use the, the carrot instead of the, the stick of a carbon tax. And I also want to help out consumers and, and homeowners. I would go beyond just repealing the carbon tax, and I would you know, bring in what I call the exact opposite of a carbon tax, and I would remove the GST and HST off of utilities like like hydro and home heating. Uh, yeah, for some politicians, the answer to any problem is to either increase taxes or introduce new ones. But let's talk about uh, what has happened with, uh, with home energy. It's become increasingly expensive. Province of Ontario has been a disaster because of the wind government. You're addressing the issue of tax savings on home energy. How's that work? Well, it, you know, there are a lot of things that GST is not charged on. So uh, they're usually labeled essentials by CRA, and, and so the, the GST does not apply. For example, most groceries uh, don't have GST added onto them. Uh, medication are just a couple of examples where the government recognizes that these are things that people really can't live without. So, you, you know, you don't tax them like other types of consumables like, you know, uh, movie tickets or or you know, uh, chips and things like that. Uh, I believe that it's certainly in Canada, it's, it's a very easy argument to make that heating your home is an essential, that, that you can't get by without that. Certainly uh, powering your home, you know, having electricity to power your appliances, that, that too is an essential. So I would treat home utilities the exact same way that other essentials are, are treated by making them GST or HST exempt, which would help to lower the cost. Of course, it won't, if for residents of Ontario, it won't undo all the damage that the disastrous Liberal government has done with their with their uh, energy schemes and, and, and what they've done, but it will take some of the sting out anyway. What do you do to a provincial government that says, oh, here, uh, look, Prime Minister Scheer has taken the GST and the HST off the, uh, off the um, energy uh, uh, bill, so we'll just, we'll just fill that in. We'll just, we'll just add that to our, uh, our billing. What do you do to those provinces? You know, that, that is a great question, and that's something that was always frustrating during the, the 10 years of uh, conservative government. We were lowering taxes every way we could we could think of. We, we lowered personal income taxes. We lowered the GST, of course. We lowered corporate taxes. Uh, we found a variety of ways to, to lower the tax burden, and often the Liberals in Ontario especially uh, just backfill that with their own tax increases. So, you know, we have a lot of these, these meetings between the provinces and the, and the prime minister, and, and, you know, there's always a, a big show about it. But maybe we need the next one of those to, to, to have more substance where we say, look, we're not just going to lower tax points federally so you can raise them provincially. We have a huge problem competing against the United States. We have economic engines in this country like Ontario with governments that are running them into the ground and killing opportunities and having an effect on every province 
So people in Alberta and Saskatchewan and BC suffer when uh, Ontario makes terrible decisions. So we need to have a uh, we need to have a, a frank conversation with 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 governments. I respect the pro- the constitution. I respect the separation of powers. But you know, looking at tools to make sure that provincial governments aren't rewarded uh, for terrible decisions. Ultimately, it's in the hands of the Ontario electorate. Hopefully, they, they make the right decision in, in, in the next provincial election. But it is something that I'm very concerned about. What does Prime Minister Scheer do about what's going on on the border? If you were the Prime Minister today, and you had all the numbers that uh, most of us have now through releases from the RCMP, uh, and you have all the information that Justin Trudeau has, and the Prime Minister has been spectacular in his lack of initiative, uh, uh, what would you do to address the issue that has so many people in this country concerned? Well, first of all, you're exactly right. that This is not getting the attention it needs from this Liberal government. Uh, I always get frustrated by what I call the misplaced compassion uh, from those on the left. You know, they, they put up an image of a, of a family trudging through the snow, crossing into Canada, and they try to play on our heartstrings you know surely we should have compassion for this person and i think to myself yeah, but you know these people are coming from a safe country that they're coming from north dakota and vermont and maine i've been to all those places there's no threat of persecution they don't have to flee into canada and while they do that there's no compassion for people legitimately waiting their turn in refugee camps all over the world who would face real persecution if they left the camps in, in africa or the, the middle east and now more and more Reports are showing that many of these people have criminal records. They're bringing in illegal firearms. So we need to we need to have a strong response. What I would do is, is on a, on a couple different levels. First and foremost, we need more resources to patrol the border. We need to give more uh, you know personnel looking at where these routes are and, and making sure that they're there to catch them. But most importantly, what we need is a fast track system to remove them. Once they set foot in Canada, they're entitled to all the same charter protections and, and appeals. So, you know, I think the, the simplest way to do it, is instead of opening up the Constitution or, or, you know, getting very complicated with things, we need to establish a parallel, fast-track system to very quickly process these cases, uh, hear their appeals, and then send them back. If, it, if These are not legitimate refugees. They're coming from a safe country, right? That, and, and they have an obligation to make those claims in the first safe country they land in. So that's the United States. And we just need to have a, a very quick system. I'm talking, you know, a matter of days. So what the liberals are doing is they're detaining them, processing them, fingerprinting them, you know, to char- charging them. And then many of them get let, let them get go let out. And then they disappear into our big cities. And, and more and more, we're hearing that, you know, they're impossible to track down by the time their court date comes along. So well, that's I why we that, I'm sorry, but that's why we have 44,000 people who've gone missing without a trace. Exactly, exactly. And, and, and the government's not doing anything about it. Some of this will require extra resources, you know, a, a special a judicial process to deal with it. But the alternative is untenable. The, the alternative is unacceptable to Canadians. We cannot stand by while people with criminal records and, and you know, involved in human trafficking just disappear into our large cities. That's not, that's not right. It's not fair. And there's no compassion to law-abiding Canadians who are now faced with this threat in their own communities. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to take a quick break here. We'll come back with Andrew Scheer, and I'm going to ask Mr. Scheer about Donald Trump, the President of the United States, having expressed his concerns about uh, Canada's dairy industry, softwood, lumber, steel, and energy. The President feels that uh, Canada's getting getting one over on the United States, and he wants to change all of that. How would the uh, how would Prime Minister Scheer deal with President Donald Trump 
on these particular issues. We'll come back on The Green Show. Stay with us on the Chorus Radio Network. Intelligent Talk Radio. Intelligent Talk Radio. This is The Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. You can send emails to Roy at RoyGreenShow.com and uh, follow us on Facebook and on Twitter at The Roy Green Show. My guest is Andrew Shear. AndrewShear.com is the website. Mr. Shear, a member of Parliament, former Speaker of Canada's Parliament, the youngest Speaker in Parliament's history. And, uh, you know, the Speaker's elected by his or her peer, so obviously he has a good reputation in Parliament among all of the parties. Mr. Scheer, Donald Trump, whether the left likes it or not, is the president of the United States. Clearly, they don't like it because they have a march every day. But the president of the United States has expressed and expressed uh, on Thursday or Friday his dissatisfaction with Canada's dairy industry. He believes that uh, Wisconsin farmers are at a disadvantage because of supply management. Softwood lumber, he brought that in, said, I don't really want to talk about it, but I will. Sounds like Donald Trump. Softwood lumber is an issue. Steel is an issue for him. And energy is an issue. First of all, how do you deal with those issues? And how do you deal with the president of the United States if you become prime minister? Well, with I'm that very president. alarmed by, uh, by Donald Trump's language. I also point out the intense hypocrisy of uh, complaining about what he perceives as protectionism in Canada the same day that he's signing executive orders uh, implementing protectionism in his own country. You know, if if, if he were to say, I want Canada to get rid of supply management because I'm a free trader and I believe in, you know, philosophically I'm opposed to anything that, that, that inhibits trade in any industry, that would be one thing. But he is uh, not a friend of, of free trade. He blames uh, all kinds of problems that are caused by uh, other things at the, at the, at the feet of uh, free trade. So we have a lot of work to do. First of all, I, I disagree with my, my, my opponent, Maxime, who is offering up parts of Canada's economy and industry as kind of a sacrificial lamb to appease Donald Trump. I, I, I believe that's a terrible path to go down because I, I, I think that would be insatiable because anything that he perceives as, as being competitive against American producers, uh, he will take measures again. So I don't think we'd be any further ahead if we did that. What we need to do is we need to work very hard. We need to send trade officials and foreign affairs officials and industry officials all across the United States and find those American employers who have two, three, four hundred jobs at their factories, at their plants and their businesses, thanks to the Canadian markets, thanks to our exports or uh, or our imports, and get them to come to Washington to put pressure on Congress and the administration. I don't think we can argue with Donald Trump. Uh, I don't think we can appeal to his altruism or his philosophical commitment to good economic practices. I think he understands jobs. I think he understands kind of a populist streak uh, of the American people who who want to see those factories come back and, and those plants come back. So I think we show him business owners who do have factories and plants and businesses thanks to trade with Canada. And we get them to tell the story, not about how it would be good for Canada, but yeah, how it will be good for Americans who are employed in, in those in those businesses. And that's the thing about free trade is, is everybody benefits. Uh, we, we have to protect NAFTA. We have to fight to keep it, uh, to keep that border open. Otherwise, if we go down this route of, of implementing protectionist measures, it's going to hurt both our countries. What's your fallback position if the president of the United States were to say, that's fine, Prime Minister, I don't care? Well, I'm not, I'm not prepared to, <laughs> to, to concede. I, I think one thing that taught us in the 
in the global recession was that we do need to diversify our trading interests. And, uh, we, you know, we had a lot of eggs in one basket in the United States. And whether it's because of a protectionist president or because of a, an economic downturn, we, we see that there's a lot of risk in Canada. When they go down, we go down with them. So uh, my fallback position would be to aggressively sign other free trade deals. There's a huge opportunity right now with the UK. I was a big proponent of Brexit, you know, before the vote uh, happened the, last summer. I, I I think it should be a priority to sign a free trade deal with Canada, the UK, Australia, and New Zealand. There's a natural uh, relationship there. We have the same rule of law, same language, same legal systems, and, and things like that. So we need to diversify our trade so that when things happen in the U.S., it's not as devastating uh, as it would be right now. So in the two minutes we have left, what's the most important issue for you? I mean, a lot of things have happened just in the last week. What, uh, what do you want our, our listeners to know about Andrew Scheer as Prime Minister of Canada? What, what, what do we need to know? What, where's your focus immediately? Well, immediately is, is the leadership race. And so right now, you know, I have a special message to members of the Conservative Party, and that is that I can keep our party united. Uh, it's, it's something we shouldn't take for granted. Conservative movements in Canada often splinter apart and lose many elections and then get back together. I don't want to see that happening now, and I think there are some candidates who don't appreciate the balance that you have to find to keep our, our caucus and our movement united. And I can articulate a positive message about what conservative policies do to help improve the quality of lives uh, for Canadians. So my, my pitch to to Conservative Party members is with me. You get a united party that can uh, reach a broader audience of Canadians while staying true to our conservative policies and philosophies. And I can make the case in the next two years leading up to 2019 that it's conservative policies that create prosperity, lift people out of poverty, improve the quality of life, secure our borders, implement an immigration system that puts Canada's needs first, and a justice system that puts the rights of law-abiding Canadians and victims ahead of repeat dangerous criminals. Okay, in about 30 seconds we have left. You disagreed uh, with M103. I did too. Many other Canadians did. that make you an Islamophobe? Well, you know, one of the problems with that motion is that Islamophobia was not defined. Not defined. And to to some it means, uh, you know, unjust discrimination, you know, firing someone because they're Muslim or kicking them out of of an apartment. I think both you and I would agree that that's not right and, and, and shouldn't be allowed. However, if it's legitimate criticism about what many radical Islamists uh, imams and others uh, preach, then I want to protect that ability. I want to, uh, I, I want to protect your ability to say, hey, wait a minute, you know, people who believe that, that women are property uh, aren't right and shouldn't, you know, try to convince others of that or that, uh, you know, practices like female genital mutilation are, are, are not right and shouldn't happen in Canada. That doesn't make you an Islamophobe. Right. That makes you someone who has, uh, has you know, common values as, as the vast majority of Canadians. Mr. Shearer, I thank you for the time. I like what I've heard from you, and uh, good luck going forward. It's going to be very interesting as it gets closer and closer to the uh, to the date for the uh, for the vote. And I, I would imagine if it goes to the third or second or third ballot, you're going to have a good shot at it. So hope we talk again before then, and thanks again for the time today. My pleasure. Always great to chat with you. Bye-bye. Andrew Shear. AndrewShear.com is his website running for the leadership of the Conservative Party of Canada.